0: So today we celebrate uh, the the Epiphany when the Magi find the baby Jesus in Bethlehem of Judea. Uh, It's good for us to think about who these Magi are. The word Magi in English uh, is a strange word. It comes from another strange word in Greek, Magoi, which is not a word that's been used very much. But our word from, for magic or magicians seems to have come from this Greek word, magoi. So who were these magi? Well, they were, might have been mag- magicians or sorcerers, maybe some kind of priestly type from their, their own culture and country. Uh, we do know that they were interested in the stars. And we're given the detail that they come from the east. And east of Israel, in Persia and Babylon, there, there um, was definitely a culture of, of gazing at the stars, of astrology, a very developed science behind it even. And so it makes sense that, these, that they would come from the east uh, in noticing a star. Uh, but also, when, whenever the scriptures talk about people from the East, they're, they're making a distinction. These people are not from Israel, meaning they're not Jews. They're foreigners from a foreign land, meaning that they would have a foreign culture, but also worship foreign gods. So they are, they are pagans or Gentiles, as they're sometimes called. And... They, they arrive in Jerusalem to find out where, where the newborn king who must be associated with the star is being born, and they end up finding Jesus in the manger. They prostrate themselves before Jesus and Mary when they find him, and we're told that they open their treasures of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, this is probably why we have three wise men. The gospel never says that there were three, but because of these three gifts offered gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The fathers of the church saw a lot of symbolism in these three gifts offered gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, some of the fathers talked about how they each one communicated a truth about who Christ was. So in offering gold... These wise men are proclaiming the kingship of Jesus, that he's true king. In offering frankincense, which is used in worship, they're proclaiming that Christ is true God. And then in offering myrrh, this is the strange gift that's offered there because myrrh was a substance that was used in burying people, you would you would myrrh would go go into the the wrappings that your body would be wrapped in when you were placed in the tomb. Uh, a pretty strange gift to offer a newborn baby. Already from the manger, we have a foreshadowing of Jesus's death. But the fathers saw in the myrrh a proclamation that Jesus was was truly God, yes, in being offered frankincense, but also truly man in that he was someone who was going to die. So we have a king, God, and man being proclaimed by the wise men. I think another way to look at it, and the scriptures are so rich, we can find such depth and meaning in them, is that these wise men come and they bring all of these things that are, that are so expressive of who we are as human persons and what we can get wrapped up in. So they come to bring gold, which is symbolic of our, our material wealth, our possessions, our bank account, what we spend so much time worrying about during this life. And then when they offer frankincense, they're, they're offering power and authority, something that we also can be very focused on. It's very easy in our life to, to even kind of prop ourselves up and, and think more about ourselves than we even do God, giving ourselves authority and power and control when it really belongs to God. But here we see the wise men laying down that claim to authority and power and control and then they offer the myrrh, which is symbolic of our whole humanity, our, as well as our mortality. And we think of everything that comes along with our, our humanity, uh, good and bad, our personality, our bodies, what we like to do with our bodies, including our, our hobbies, our pastime, our leisure, our work, uh, but also... Everything that good that the human spirit aspires to and strives at, like the sciences, the arts, politics, relationships, all of these good things in our life can kind of be summed up in these three gifts. The, the whole of the human person and everything we aspire to and, beca- and can become attached to, symbolized here in these three gifts, which very tellingly the wise men give to Jesus and they prostrate themselves before them. So what's the symbolism here? Well, the, the wise men are, are bringing their whole self and, and also everything to which we can easily become attached. And they're laying it at the feet of Jesus and then they're prostrating themselves before Jesus, really offering him their life, their, the whole of themselves. It's so good for us to see the example of the wise men, and amazing, I think, it's supposed to be that they're, they're from the East, and so that means they're, they're foreigners, or in our language, they're converts to the faith. And I, I actually think of so many converts, even in our own parish, Or I think of my mom, who's a convert, who sometimes embrace the faith a lot more enthusiastically than cradle Catholics do and I'm so thankful for converts because sometimes because they haven't always had the truth they upon receiving it appreciate, appreciate it even more and can be an inspiration then for us who have always had had the truth of the faith but maybe didn't realize it or maybe haven't embraced it as wholeheartedly as God invites us to so So, we have these Magi offering us a very good example and inspiration. It's very interesting to juxtapose the Magi with the other people in the story, not Mary and Jesus, but with Herod and the people of Jerusalem. We get two stark differences here in how the newborn child, the Messiah King Jesus, is received. Received very differently by the Magi, who are the foreigners, the outsiders, we could say. (laughs) They, so enthusiastically and with their whole life, embrace the newborn king of the Jews. But what about the Jews in the story? (laughs) The Herod, who is the king of the Jews, literally, and all those in Jerusalem how do they respond to the newborn king? Well, the, the scripture writer tells us, he says, when King Herod heard, hears about this, about the birth of the newborn king, he was greatly troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Why was Herod greatly troubled at the birth of the Messiah? This should all, if we're paying attention to the scriptures, this should, this should be deeply troubling to us. Why, because well, King Herod was the leader of Israel, the leader of the Jews, oh, not just not just in a political sense but also with religious responsibilities as well. Israel was not just a political state, but it was it was a deeply religious state it was god 's people and the head of god 's people when he hears about the news of the Messiah, the Christ that they've been waiting for as Jews, as Israelites for a thousand years, how does he respond? Not with enthusiasm, not with welcome, not with desire, but with fear and a troubled heart. Why? Well, the scripture writers don't don't tell us this explicitly, but why might he be so troubled at the birth of this new king. Well, it might be because he sees this newborn king as a rival, as competition, as somebody who's going to take the throne away from him and everything that goes along with that throne. Wealth, power, authority, control. Herod doesn't want to lose any of these things. He likes his life, and he likes the wealth and the prestige and the power and the influence and the honors that he receives in his office. He doesn't want to give that up. He doesn't want to cede that to somebody else. And so instead of receiving this new Messiah king with joy as he ought, he receives it with with fear and with a closed heart but not just Herod if if that doesn't shock us then i'm i'm always so surprised at this detail too that it was not only king herod who was greatly troubled but all of jerusalem with him all of jerusalem all of all of the israelites the jews <laughs> reading, having read the prophets for hundreds, a thousand years by now, all of them, all of the prophets talking about the arrival of the king who's going to bring peace and salvation and healing to his people, bring them together. He's going to, he's even going to make them a light. This is a prophecy from Isaiah that we heard in our first reading that he's going to make them, through this Messiah King, a light to all the nations so that all the surrounding nations are going to be streaming to them. That literally is fulfilled in this passage when these foreigners come to worship the newborn king in Bethlehem of Judea. But how do these Israelites, these Jews, receive the message that finally their king is born? They were greatly troubled. it's it's really important that we ask the question, why? Why weren't they thrilled at the message of a newborn king for them, the newborn king for them, their Messiah? Why? Well, I I don't think that we need to look much farther than our own heart (laughs) to understand why, because we can be just like them. When we, when we are fearful of what God wants to do in our life, when we are fearful of the change that maybe he's asking of us if we were to give him the kingship over our life and the authority over our life that he deserves as our true king, how much do we avoid allowing our king deep into our hearts and, and into our lives more because we fear the turmoil that he might bring there. We can be pretty comfortable in our life and even our life of faith. We don't want it to change. We don't want anything new to happen there because we've grown comfortable. And I think this is why the people of Jerusalem actually weren't that interested in their Savior when he came because they were comfortable. They didn't want their life or religious life to be turned upside down, which is precisely what they feared. As I was thinking about this this morning, I was suddenly, I, the words, <laughs> these words were suddenly coming to me, and I, I, I thought about it a moment, and I knew exactly where they, where they came from. It was Pope Benedict's first homily that he gave after he was elected pope in 2005 it was at the very end of his homily and i've reflected on this past this, these words so many times at the end of his homily as as the new pope and he at the very end of his homily he recalls his his great predecessor a pope now saint john paul ii and he recalled uh, October of 1978, when, Pope, when the newly elected Polish Pope, St. John Paul, now St. John Paul II, when he began his ministry there as, as, as the vicar of Christ, as, as the Pope. And the words that he spoke, Pope John Paul II were, do not be afraid, open wide the doors of Christ. Do not be afraid, open wide the doors of Christ. And Pope Benedict at the end of his first homily as Pope reflected on those words of John Paul II. And this is what he said. Are we not perhaps all afraid in some way? If we let Christ enter fully into our lives, if we open ourselves totally to him, are we not afraid that he might take something away from us? are we not perhaps afraid to give up something significant, something unique, something that makes life so beautiful? Do we not then risk ending up diminished and deprived of our freedom if we we let Christ in? And once again, the Pope said, he's referring to Pope John Paul II, no, If we let Christ into our lives, we we lose nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing of what makes life free, beautiful, and great. No, only in this friendship are the doors of life open wide. Only in this friendship is the great potential of human existence truly revealed. It's one of my favorite lines of of that, that little section. Only in this friendship with Christ is the great potential of human ex- existence truly revealed. The Magi show us as they bring these gifts symbolic of their whole humanity, their ho- all of their lives, all of their selves, laying them down before Christ. They help us to understand that Christ is the one who brings all of these things to its perfection and fulfillment. This is what Herod got wrong. Jesus didn't want to take his throne away from him. He wanted to give him something. What did he want to give him? Nothing less than heaven. Heaven at the end of his life, but heaven in his heart and in his soul. Didn't want to take away his luxurious palace or even the power that he had, but he wanted to give Herod the peace and the joy and the freedom that comes with being a beloved son of our God. That's what he wanted to give to the king, to all the people of Jerusalem. We can't let the enemy make us fearful of what Christ wants to do in our life because he doesn't come to rob us of our humanity. He comes to fulfill it, to perfect it, to adorn it with his graciousness. That's what he wanted to do for all of the people in Jerusalem. That's what he wants to do today, for you and for me. Today, let's open wide the doors of our heart to Christ.